Well, church, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, let's open up to the book of Luke, chapter 21. Luke, chapter 21, we're going to begin there in verse 5 this morning as we continue uh, to make our way through the gospel of Luke. We have quite a bit of ground uh, to cover this morning in a very difficult passage of Scripture, and I'm going to do my best to to lay this out in a way that that is understandable and, and clear today. Uh, we come to one of the most difficult passages in all of the book of Luke, and I'm, I'm going to try in the next half hour to, uh, to explain it well that we might apply it to our lives. Jesus has made his way into Jerusalem ever since chapter 9 when Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He has been making his way there. As soon as he entered into Jerusalem, he began to do what he always did, which is he began to teach. He went directly to the temple and began day by day uh, to teach the people But we know, as we looked at last week, that he was rejected, ultimately, by the Jewish people. And so he turned his gaze toward those 12 disciples that he had called unto himself, that he had been preparing for the last three years to engage in ministry on his behalf when he would go back to be uh, with his Father in heaven. And and as he turned his gaze toward them, he began to prepare them with some, some difficult things. What we're seeing in Luke 21 this morning is some difficult teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples in order to prepare them for the events that were about to come. Keep in mind, Jesus is here just days away from the cross. He is just days away from giving his life that all the sins of mankind might be, might be forgiven by his blood, might be covered by his blood. Three days later, he would rise from the dead. Then he would spend 40 days preparing these same disciples to go out into the world and to plant churches and to, and, and to raise up a people for God. He's preparing them even now in Luke chapter 21. This is the last time that Jesus leaves the temple. And they engage in a discussion together. Luke chapter 21 beginning in verse 5. And the word of the Lord says, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, The days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? And he said to them, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them, and when you hear wars of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Let me just read that verse again. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom that in which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. 
you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Can we pray together once more? Father, this is your word. And there are difficult things here. And Lord, I am not able to teach this word accurately without the help of your spirit. I pray that your spirit would teach us today. Bring conviction. And Lord, send us out from this place today with a desire for you and for your kingdom that is greater than that with which we came in. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest questions related to Luke chapter 21, and by the way, if you look over into the Gospels of, of Matthew and Mark, Matthew 24 and 25, uh, that Barry referenced a few minutes ago, Matthew 24, and then Mark chapter 13, these are all parallel passages, and, and Matthew and, and Mark give a much broader and more detailed treatment of uh, this teaching of Jesus. It's known as the Olivet Discourse. Olivet because it was given uh, at the foot of the Mount of Olives, the place where Jesus and his disciples stayed during that week in Jerusalem prior to his crucifixion. And they're looking toward the temple. And the temple there in Jerusalem, which was then known as Herod's temple, not because Herod built it, but because he had, he had invested so much money in renovating it and in improving it, he had invested what would be the equivalent of, of a billion plus dollars in, in renovating the temple and making it what was then known as one of the great wonders of the Roman world. As you approached Jerusalem from miles away, you would see the temple on that highest mound there in Jerusalem. And, and the white stones that made up the temple would gleam so brightly that it looked almost like a snow-covered peak. Have you ever seen those? those? Those places in the world where the, where the snow is at the very top of the mountain? That's what it looked like there in Jerusalem, a snow-covered peak. That, that, the gleaming whiteness of the stones they used to build the temple. But then at the same time, in the heat of the day, as the sun was bearing down upon the temple, there was so much gold overlaying uh, the temple in various places. There was so much gold that was used that, that, it was, that the sun would shine upon it in a blinding way. You couldn't even bear to look upon it at the height of the day. It was a glorious sight. And as they are returning from Jesus' last teaching in the temple, they're going back to the Mount of Olives. They're looking back to the temple and they're commenting about the glory of that place, how beautiful it is and how wonderfully it represents the glory of God among His people. And then Jesus says, Hold on a minute, guys. Not long from now, not one of those gleaming white stones will be left upon another. Everything is about to be torn down. This was the unthinkable for the Jewish people. They had lost so much now uh, being under the oppression of the Romans. The thought that their temple would be taken away was an unthinkable thought for them. And yet you notice the disciples don't have learned by now we don't question Jesus. They simply ask him 
what will be the sign of these things. And as we look at this passage today, one of the greatest questions that comes as we seek to try to interpret Jesus' teaching here in the Olivet Discourse is exactly what is he talking about? Is he talking about the event that would happen 40 years from that point? We're in about 30 A.D. as Jesus is giving this teaching. In 70 A.D., the Romans would invade Jerusalem, and they would do exactly what Jesus is saying here. They would utterly devastate the city, and they would literally tear the temple apart as the Roman soldiers were seeking to harvest the gold that had been laid in that temple for themselves. That place which represented God's presence among his people, Israel, was devastated by the Roman armies in 70 A.D. And yet, as you look at Luke chapter 21, you begin to see that while it appears as though Jesus is talking about the events of 70 A.D., there are also things in Luke chapter 21 that seem to represent Jesus' second coming. We've talked about this before, that oftentimes in the midst of Jesus' first coming in the world, in the midst of that three-year ministry as he's preparing his disciples for his departure and return to heaven, he shared with them often about what his second coming would look like. In his second coming, it would be no more baby in a manger. It'll be a king upon a throne. It'll be no more mercy and forgiveness. It'll be a time for judgment and the wrath of God to come upon our sin-soaked world. And so one of the biggest questions that we have when we come to this passage is exactly what is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about the events of 70 AD that would be in our past? Or is he talking about the events of his second coming yet in our future? So I was reading this uh, week, there are several really convincing arguments on both sides. And I'm going to take the politically safe stance this morning. I think there are some who would say, well, he's definitely talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. There are others who would say he's definitely talking about the end of the world. And I'm going to say to you this morning, I believe he's talking about both. Because the destruction of Jerusalem points forward to the destruction of the world as we know it. And so the very thing that the disciples were looking forward to in the destruction of Jerusalem and dreading in their hearts those days are days that we look forward to as God has promised to return and redeem his people in all the fullness of that. And so I've entitled today's message, and by the way, this was under the uh, instruction and influence of my seven-year-old son. Here he comes. What are these signs about? What is Jesus saying that is relevant for us today? I want you to see his teaching this morning. Pastor Kent Hughes said the Olivet Discourse has been the subject of more scholarly, scholarly debate than perhaps any other passage in the Gospels. Study of it requires a proper humility, and I pray that God would give us that humility this morning. G.K. Chesterton said, It is only the fool who tries to get the heavens inside his head, and not unnaturally his head bursts. There's things here that are hard for us to understand, and I don't want our heads to burst this morning. Rather, he said, the wise man is content to get his head inside the heavens. Let that be the case for us. And so once again, Jesus teaching here in Matthew chapter 24, the parallel passage, Jesus himself said, heaven and earth will pass away. We are living in a temporal world. 
This world is temporary. The more that we live for this world, the more we will be disappointed when this world passes away. It is passing away. The Lord of all the earth has said it right here. But he said, but my words will not pass away. Concerning that day or that hour, the day or hour when the world will come to an end, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, the Father only. He is the only one that knows. And yet He has given us here some signs to point us forward to that which is yet to come. And I want you to see them this morning. I'm going to put them together in, in three sets of signs of what Jesus has for us here in these verses. The first set, He speaks of false Christs. And faulty conjectures. He speaks of false Christs and faulty conjectures. Look there in verse 8. After he talks about the fact that the temple will be torn down, they ask him, Teacher, when will these things be? What will be the sign? What, we, what should we look for? And he said to them, See that you are not led astray. We'll come back to that phrase in just a moment. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. There would be many who would come, these false messiahs proclaiming, and in the, in the first century, not long after Jesus' a resurrection and an ascension back into heaven, there were already those who were coming claiming to be the Messiah, came, claiming to be the returning Christ. And Jesus' warning of that, and even in our own generation, we have seen those men like David Koresh and, and Jim Jones who have claimed to be a messiahs, who have gathered people unto themselves in these, in these false religious cults. This happens every so often throughout, uh, has happened every so often throughout the last 2,000 years that some would come claiming to be the returning Christ. And Jesus is warning that this is going to happen. It's going to be a, a part of the church age in which we find ourselves. And it will also be those who will, who will claim that the time has come, those who will make predictions about his return. Have we not seen that in so many false cults? Have we not seen uh, Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses uh, claiming certain dates and times of His return? And then those times come and they pass, don't they? And then there has to be some kind of an explanation made for what took place in order to cover up their error. We need not place our faith in false messiahs nor in false truths about when He will come. We know what He has said. His coming is certain. We're just not yet sure when it will take place, but we look forward to it nonetheless. And so, again, I want you to consider what they were looking toward. Jesus said the, the destruction of, of Jerusalem is imminent. Just 40 years removed from His words here uh, that, that Romans would come in and devastate Jerusalem. But the, I want you to understand this morning, I believe it's the destruction of Jerusalem which points forward to the events at the end of the world. If you understand uh, biblical prophecy, you'll understand this is the way it often happens. Think, uh, for instance, of the prophecy given in Isaiah of the virgin that would be with child. We read it every Christmas, right? Isaiah chapter 9. The virgin will be with child. That will be a sign of the Lord's working among his people. 
Now there was in the days of Isaiah a, a near fulfillment of that prophecy. There was, there was something that happened in the days of Isaiah that served as a sign to those people. But at the same time, that wasn't the end of the sign. It was simply pointing forward to the greater reality that was going to come in Jesus. That's why we read that at Christmas time. So there was a near fulfillment and there was also a farther fulfillment. <coughs> And that happens all the time in, in biblical prophecy. And I think it's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's saying what's getting ready to happen in Jerusalem will be a sign to you, will be a, a pointing forward to you of the ends of the earth. And remember what he says there, do not be deceived. Pastor Warren Wearsby, who went home to be with the Lord this week, he said the only sure way to keep our balance in a deceptive world is to know the scriptures and obey what God tells us to do. The only way to not be deceived is not just to come and sit in church on Sunday morning, but it is to be in the Word of God yourself. That's why we say around here all of the time, it's not enough just to gather together in the name of Christ. That we must be growing in the Word of Christ together. It's not enough for your neighbor or your parents or your children to know this word. You must know this word for yourself because there will be deceptive things that will come. And even as you come in to the church house and he, listen to the preaching of the word of God, may we be like the Bereans that are talked about in the book of Acts who went home after hearing the preaching of the apostle Paul. They went home and they looked for themselves. They searched the scriptures themselves to see if these things were true. And I want to encourage you, as LeVar Burton used to say on KET, don't just take my word for it. Go read the book yourself. Become saturated in the word of God yourself because we are living in deceptive days. There are false messages being preached from pulpits all across the land. And I pray that this will not be one, but I'm encouraging you. The only way that you will know whether you are hearing the truth or not is you take what's being given and you set it side by side with the Word of God. And if it measures up, you praise God for it. And if it doesn't measure up with the Word of God, then you have every right to reject it because this is truth. This mouth can speak error. The mouth of God cannot. And so don't be deceived. Let us not be deceived. Second Peter chapter 3, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And we think about these things, we consider these things, and we understand the only way to continue in stability is to continue in the Word, growing in the Word. And we do so together. Second set of signs, verses 9 through 11, we see foreign conflicts and familiar catastrophes. Foreign conflicts and familiar catastrophes. Jesus begins to talk about wars and rumors of wars. He begins to talk about earthquakes and famines and, and pestilences. And, and what we notice about the list that Jesus gives of the signs of, uh, not just of the end of Jerusalem, but pointing forward the signs of the end of the world, here's what we notice. That every one of these things is common in a sin-soaked world. 
But at the same time, there seems to be a biblical indication that they will multiply as the end draws near. And so we think about the headlines that we see. Is there, not, is there a week that goes by that we don't hear of war in some corner of the world? Seems like there's not a week that goes by that we don't hear about earthquakes, famines, pestilence. We consider these things, these signs that Jesus has given, and we say, but these things have always taken place. Ever since sin infected the world and corrupted God's good creation, these things have been a natural part of that sin-soaked world. And yet they will amp up, as we look to the book of Revelation and see God's teaching there, they will amp up as the end draws near. Let us not be deceived. Warren Wearsby, once again, the characteristics Jesus stated can be seen in every age of the church, but these things will increase and intensify as the time of Jesus' coming draws near. And so with that, not only don't be deceived, but don't be dismayed. I don't know about you, but when you, when you hear of these headlines of wars and conflicts and, and all the negative headlines that we see in our news, it's so easy for us to grow weary in that and to be dismayed by these things. And yet the Lord would say to us, don't be dismayed. Here's, here's the response I think that we can have as the people of God when we see the devastating headlines that seem to come week after week after week. And they will continue until the end of the world because of the effects of sin and death in our world. Here's the response I think we can have as the people of God. All throughout the scriptures, you find the people of God responding to the effects of sin and death in this way. First of all, they cry out, How long, O Lord? How long until your return? You see, these things serve the purpose that we would not be contented in this sin-soaked world. That we would not be okay with the status quo of this broken creation, but that there would be a groaning in us for the return of the Lord. But you see, in our comfortable Americanized version of Christianity, we become all too comfortable in this world, forgetting that this world is passing away. This world is radically broken. This world is not our home. We are strangers and aliens in a foreign land. There is a greater home, a greater kingdom awaiting us that we ought to be longing for. And these things, these kinds of signs cause us to cry out in that way. How long, O Lord? Romans 8. We know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth up until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. I love, that's a, that's a definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ in, in this broken world in which we live. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. That's a picture of joy in the midst of suffering, church. That's what we've been called to as we wait for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. And finally third set of signs this morning given to us by our Savior, our fierce competitors and firm confidence. He promised them that in this world they would have trouble. He promised them that to follow Him would mean persecution. 
Again, I want to say to us, church, we here in America are the outliers of the last 2,000 years. By and large, to follow Jesus Christ over the last 2,000 years since the Olivet Discourse has meant suffering, pain, and death. It's meant being ostracized and cast out. It has meant being the outliers of society. We are the oddballs in terms of the followers of Jesus Christ over the last 2,000 years that we don't face very much of that, but perhaps the day is coming. I want to say three things about persecution as we close this morning. Three truths that come straight from the lips of Jesus, and I want you to see them. First, look at verse 13. He shows us here that persecution is an opportunity for proclamation. He said, you're going to be persecuted. We look at the book of Acts and you see the very things that Jesus is laying out here in Luke 21 are displayed throughout the book of Acts. By the way, a month from now, we're going to start into the book of Acts together and we're going to see God's design for his church. And part of that design is persecution, is being brought up on charges because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is facing being ostracized by your own family and friends because of your faithfulness to Christ. But this, Jesus says, is an opportunity for witness. This is not, we, we often think about persecution as an obstacle to witness. Well, if I had to go to jail because of my faith in Christ, then that would keep me from witnessing. No, he says, this is the opportunity. We have it all wrong. We got it all backwards in the church here in America. Our brothers and sisters around the world today who face open persecution, they know what he's saying in verse 13. They know that this is their opportunity and they take hold of it by faith and watch God do amazing things. Second truth about, pers about persecution is that our perseverance in the midst of persecution is the guarantee of our preservation. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? It's the fact that we endure, our faith endures through persecution that becomes the guarantee of what we have in Christ in the first place. Look at verse 19. By your endurance. Endurance when? In the midst of persecution. By your endurance, your perseverance, you're pressing on, you're staying true. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now, is he saying you'll earn your salvation through these things? No, he is saying you will guarantee your salvation through these things. You will have so much more hope in the gospel when you endure in the midst of persecution. You will have so much more faith in Christ as you endure in the midst of persecution. You will have so much more joy in the Lord who is your strength as you press on and stay firm and stay true to the Lord in the midst of persecu persecution. And so the final command for us this morning, do be determined determined to stand fast to hold tight to the gospel not to grow weary in doing good not to lose heart but to press on what are we pressing on toward we're pressing on toward the final prayer of the scriptures in revelation chapter 22 revelation chapter 22 the final prayer of Scripture. He who testifies to these things, that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he says, Surely I am coming soon. This is his promise. 
I am coming soon. And our response to that is, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. And our response being, Amen. So be it, Lord. Come soon. As we look at the headlines and the devastation that we see week by week, as we look at our own lives and the destruction that we experience because of the effects of sin and death week by week, as we encounter these things, that our response, the cry of our hearts be, Come, Lord Jesus. And He says to us, Surely I'm coming soon. Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. Endure. And watch your salvation come in all of its fullness.